0: I am Julie Hamill. I'm a lawyer out in greater Los Angeles in a little town called Rancho Palos Verdes. I've got three little kids. Um, My oldest is seven, middle is five, and the youngest is two. And are
2: you yourself vaccinated against COVID 19? I am. And so tell me how you're thinking about your kids. Well, obviously,
0: it's been a very heated public discussion. Um, and I, I will be honest, I'm scared to talk to you um, this morning because I am frightened of being maligned as some sort of crazy person or, um,
2: you know, QAnon anti-vaxxer. Julie says she's not a Republican, not a Democrat, so she's been following her pediatrician's advice throughout the pandemic. She
0: explained to me that from a public health perspective, we have to say, we being her practice, um, everyone should get the vaccine. Um, But then she said, you know, individually, you should do your own risk analysis. And the things that she asked were, you know, does your kid have respiratory problems? Is your child obese? These children should absolutely get vaccinated. Do you live with a high-risk grandparent? Are there other risk factors in your life? You know, then you may want to strongly consider it. But it's completely
2: reasonable, at this point, not to get your kids vaccinated. To be clear, that is not what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. But it is how a decent number of parents are thinking. Polling from the Kaiser Family Foundation shows that one-third of American parents are excited for their kids to get the shot. Another third don't want or plan to vaccinate their kids against COVID. And then there's the last third — an important one. Like Julie, they want to wait and see how things play out. Just out of curiosity, do your kids have the standard childhood vaccines? Yes. Why Why do you think this one is different? Or why does it feel different to you? It, well, it's a really interesting question. Um, because I never thought about
0: vaccines before. I just did whatever the doctor recommended. I never thought twice about it. And this time it's different because I've watched how politically charged the discussion around them has become and how um, the information is so quickly twisted without
2: reliance on actual data. And it scares me. Julie watched the many hours long FDA advisory panel on kids and vaccines. In fact, After this interview, she emailed us quotes from the panel that made her particularly concerned, like questions about side effects. But she's also someone who, with time and information, could get to yes. So today on the show, we're going to talk with a doctor and public health expert about how he convinces nervous parents like Julie that getting the shot is the best thing for their kid. And about whether that's even the right way to think about kids and vaccines. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. I actually want to start by, um, I guess, asking you what your job encompasses right now.
3: (laughs) such a good question. So technically, my real job right now is I'm chief health officer of Indiana University.
2: Besides that job, Aaron Carroll has a bunch of others. He's a professor at IU's medical school, a pediatrician, and a public health expert who spends a lot of time thinking about kids and vaccines. He does some journalism on the side, too. Right now, Aaron's leading his university's COVID response in a state that has been hit hard and where just 50% of the population is fully vaccinated. Indiana has pretty low vaccination rates when they stack up nationally. But I want to dive into a little bit what they look like for the under-18s and kind of what you think when you look at them.
3: It's lower than you'd like. Uh, You know, I think when we even talk about Averages, and we tout even how great in some states the averages are, we have to acknowledge that that's heavily weighted uh, by the elderly who are massively vaccinated almost everywhere. Uh, On top of that, adults, you know, as you as you decrease age, the, the rates go down. Uh, you know, 17, 16, 17-year-olds 17 are ra- are vaccinated less than we'd like. But even before approving children, 12 to 15-year-olds were significantly lower than 50% in most of the country. Uh, and that's nowhere near where we'd like to see it. Uh, now that we've started small children, I expect that you'll see a surge because there's a lot of people who've just been chomping at the bit to get that done. But most surveys showed that about a third of parents were really excited about vaccinating their children immediately. That's way too low. So we have to focus on getting kids vaccinated. There's there's still a huge amount of the country. There's still a relatively at-risk population, less so perhaps for being massively impacted by disease, but certainly as a reservoir and, and a way of transmission to those who are at significantly higher risk.
2: I want to be very careful not to overplay some of the fears of anti-vaxxers and really talk about the best public health practices in this interview. So if you could lay out for me, what is the most accurate way to describe what you're facing in terms of kids and parental attitudes around the COVID vaccine?
3: I, th- I think people have this view of people who are hesitant about vaccination that that most that they're all woefully misguided or just adamant about, this is never going to happen. I hate vaccination. Now, when you when you deal with, though, the reasons, it, they're reasonable. And people are often vaccine hesitant for their kids because they just are worried. People are much more risk averse for their children than they often are for themselves. And um, the risks that people are willing to take in their daily lives, even, uh, and what they are willing to do are not the same as what they're willing to tolerate for their children. What kind of questions do you see? Yeah, I mean it's amazing because most of the questions I see from her are people who are otherwise totally pro-vaccine. I get a lot of you know people who absolutely got vaccinated, but now it's their children and they're well. My child is is prepubescent. I'm worried about their you know her fertility, or uh, we just don't know how many kids are going to get myocarditis. And I heard that that it's more common amongst adolescents, and I'm really worried about my small child or Bunch of people have had COVID. It's very possible my kids even already had COVID and didn't know uh, why. Why should I then vaccinate them? Isn't that dangerous? Would it be worse if they've already had COVID? What do you say? Well, to each of those, you have you have different answers. Uh, for people that are worried about fertility, that's just unfortunately a myth. Or people are worried when they hear mRNA that somehow mRNA gets into the DNA and it's going to change your genes. Uh, in which case. You have to go through the explanation of how there is no mechanism in the body to turn mRNA into DNA. It's just DNA into mRNA. So the mRNA we give you can't be turned back into DNA. There's no mechanism to do so. If it's it's people who are worried about myocarditis, then I have to talk about how relatively rare that is and how the risk of myocarditis from COVID is so much greater than the risk of myocarditis from a vaccine. And given how infectious Delta is and other variants, that everyone's eventually going to get vaccinated or COVID and that you're much, 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 much better off getting the vaccine. I'm listening to you talk through
2: these, and I've also watched some of these webinars you do, Ask Aaron for the university community. And it feels a little bit like you're kind of on variations on a theme autopilot. Like you get this question, you say this answer, you get this question, you say this one. does Does it feel that way? Does it feel like you're just a vending machine with, I hear you and here's the answer?
3: It eventually gets there because there are only so many questions. The questions eventually become repetitive to me and to people who watch every single webinar, but they're new to the person asking it. And really people's individual concerns are very individual. And until they are specifically answered in person, many people will not be converted. And if they hear a message which doesn't resonate with them, that you know feels like you're trying to skirt the issue, they assume you're you're trying to hide something. Um, wow. And so I think that this, unfortunately, is just very retail work. It has to be done individually. It, it's actually one of the things that makes me happy about the way that we're actually distributing the vaccines to children is that we're now finally making use of the healthcare system. Uh, We have not been giving out vaccines in the traditional method with respect to COVID. It's at pharmacies, it's at big centers, not you go to your doctor's office and every year I go to my doctor's office and they tell me what vaccines I need and I get them. Um, When we go to the pediatrician's office, they tell you what vaccines you need and you get them. That's what we're doing with COVID, finally, is that, you know, we're distributing these to actual pediatricians' offices. That's a way to get to people who are vaccine hesitant.
2: Why do you think there's this disconnect that might exist between what a parent is willing to do for themselves, you you know, a vaccinated parent, and what they might be willing to do for their kid?
3: Well, I think one is that you feel a sense of responsibility to your children that sometimes feels harder than than to yourself because you've been taking risks for with yourself your whole life. you choose to drive, you choose to ski, you choose what you eat and drink. you've probably made some reasonably risky decisions in your 20s um, both with respect to sexual activity and perhaps with substances like you're just you're just used to understanding trade-offs. with kids, however, we're much more restrictive. We try to keep them in the boundaries more because we're worried that they don't have the same kind of experience and guardrails um, that, you know, adults sometimes still lack. But we know that kids don't have them. Um, And we feel that we could be blamed. The dangers seem much more big and the benefits sometimes pale in comparison. Of course,
2: weighing benefits and risks of vaccines is nothing new. That's why families turn to their pediatricians for advice. For years, doctors have tried to increase vaccination rates and fight hesitancy. Aaron says that can be tough when a new vaccine comes out. He saw it happen with a vaccine for varicella, otherwise known as chickenpox.
3: When the varicella vaccine got approved in the you know 90s, uh, lots of parents were, and this is when I was just starting to be a pediatrician, were like, why should I? Why should I vaccinate my kid? Against chickenpox, it's a nothing burger, minor illness. Everybody gets it. Everybody does fine. Um, why would I? Why would I subject myself to this? And I'd have to explain that for a lot of people, that's true. But when adults get chickenpox, it's massively bad. Uh, my dad got chickenpox when all three of us, um, me and my brother, my sister, got it, and he was sick. Plus, some number of babies died every year of varicella infection. It wasn't huge numbers, but they were real numbers and they were babies and other people got hospitalized. And just a couple of years after we really started vaccinating kids in the early 2000s, zero babies died of chickenpox. That's a huge win, given that zero babies are immunized against chickenpox. You can't get it till you're one year of age. But by vaccinating children, We protected everyone, and now today we have like eighty-six percent of you know eligible children vaccinated, and chickenpox has largely gone away. You wrote about your
2: experience as a young pediatrician vaccinating kids with with the varicella vaccine against chickenpox. How did you break through to skeptical parents?
3: I think it's 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 time and effort, and one it's building up trust. I mean, one of the so what did you say to them? i very much the same things I'm saying to you. I would talk about risks and benefits. And in fact, this is part of what we do with everything. When parents like, I want an antibiotic for, for my kid's ear infection, I talk about, well, these are the, the benefits of it and these are the risks. And often it's saying, you know, your, your child is two to three times more likely to actually have a side effect than to get any benefit from this. I'd rather just watch it. And when you say hmm. it that way, many parents will get it. Even, even if parents are like, I want antibiotics, you can sometimes say, well, why don't we, why don't I give you a prescription? But you go home and you watch, and if and if he's not better in two days, you'll fill the prescription. But if he's get better in two days, then you don't have to. And, you know, it's negotiation. It's making sure people feel heard, making sure that that you understand what they're going through, that it's not unreasonable, um, and trying to find a solution that works.
2: Well, in in your writing about varicella, I noticed that you said in two thousand eight only about thirty four percent. Of of eligible adolescents were fully immunized. And by 2018, about 90% of kids have been vaccinated. And that seems both great and made me think: like, oh my gosh, are we talking about immunizing kids against COVID on a, a decade-long timeframe? Is it gonna take us 10 years?
3: Unless we have mandates, yeah, I think it is. Um, because and it's to be honest with you, we won't get all the way there without mandates. Let me let's be clear too. I can't win 90%. As a pediatrician, I, I I just own that it's not going to happen. Hmm.
2: Um, so you need a school system or or yeah, something you like need, that. You
3: need you need these to become so expec- you know, expected that the school systems requiring it the ne- the default has to be vaccinated, so that most people will do it.
2: When we come back, Big Bird wades into the conversation. There are a few tried and true approaches that research shows can help move parents toward vaccination. There's this thing that a lot of pediatricians use called the presumptive approach um, when they're, they're talking about kind of vaccination writ large. I, I wonder if you could walk me through how that works in in a you know vaccine setting.
3: I'm assuming you mean that they go in with the idea like we're going to vaccinate that they're just yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah that, that, so again, it's about norms. It's if we ma- ma- all a mandate is is saying the default is you should get vaccinated because there' are always exceptions. There are ways to get out. But it's not you have to opt in. You got to opt out. You got to get out. And hmm. you can do that even in conversation. If you normalize, Getting a vaccination is if you're walking into the room with the idea of like we're doing vaccinations. That's what everybody does. Then we're here. It's your two year old appointment. Here you go. A lot of people, far more than you'd think, will do the default. Uh, uh, I have one more question. Oh, sure. sure. Big Bird. What's that? Well, uh, uh, I'm a little scared to get the shot because I don't like needles.
2: A lot has been made over the past week about, you know, Big Bird from Sesame Street getting the vaccine, I'm I'm using air quotes because he is fictional, uh, there was a predictable backlash to it, though we should note Sesame Street has been doing vaccine, you know, campaign work since since the 70s. Um, in your experience, do these kinds of campaigns work to increase
3: vaccination? I think everything works a bit. Uh, and so, you know, trying to find all the levers we can pull makes sense. I think, however, if we if we if we assume that like, well, will Big Bird be finally the thing that gets everybody vaccinated? No, um, <laughs> no chance. You know, it, it, it it's going to take all of these things. Some number of people may be swayed by Big Bird. Um, some number of people may be swayed by uh, better, you know, discussions. But truly, the way to get through to people is to have good messages come from trusted sources. Uh, the problem is that. One person's trusted source is another person's, you know, mistrusted source.
2: I think parents are often motivated by, as we've been discussing, concerns about their own family, their own child, not necessarily uh, about public health. But you know, there's a line in another article that you wrote saying, "For the sake of everyone, we need to start vaccinating younger children as soon as possible." I guess, h- how how does vaccinating kids fit into
3: this public health goal. And are you at all optimistic that we can do that? So, yes, I am. Because I I think that when we normally ask people to vaccinate, uh, you know, there's there's two kinds of good you can get. You can get the good for yourself and you get the good for everybody else. Um, And most of the time when we are talking about vaccinating children, uh, we try to pitch it as the good for you. Uh, but most parents are savvy enough to realize like when they run the numbers, the actual risk to their child is very, very small. And we don't we don't appeal to their sense of altruism, of that we're all in a social contract here, and the reason that we're getting everybody vaccinated is to also protect those who can't protect themselves. It's to protect the babies. It's to protect old people. Um yeah, your five year old is gonna be fine if they get chicken pox, But your grandparent and your your infant are not. And it's not unreasonable that we all vaccinate to protect those loved ones in our lives as much as it is to protect ourselves. Now, with COVID, it turns out that the personal benefit is also massive, because this is a very prevalent disease that's causing significant morbidity and mortality right this second. So Even to kids. Yeah, even to kids. So So flu is like this, but we just... We don't do that well either. We don't talk about how not only will this benefit you, but it will benefit everybody else. And you've, you have people in your life who are at risk from flu. And even if it's a nothing burger to you, it could be significant to someone else. We we don't make those arguments enough. And therefore, I think people don't understand sort of the the big public health aspects of vaccines as much as they do, well, I'm making a personal decision and this only affects me.
2: Even when the FDA advisory panel voted in favor of opening the vaccine to kids over five, the issue wasn't framed as a public health decision. It was a question of whether the vaccine's benefits to kids outweighed the risks. What makes you optimistic?
3: One, you can't get unvaccinated. So the numbers only really go up. Uh, And as more and more people over time see this as the norm, they will convert. But... Over time, pandemics burn out. They do, you know. Flu pandemic of 1917, 18, 19 burned out. Other flu pandemics have burned out. They, it it will, it's just how much damage will we sustain on the way? And we've already got a vaccine and these vaccines are incredible. I I do think eventually we'll get to a better place. I, I just know that if we would do it faster, we would do it better.
2: Aaron Carroll, thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Aaron Carroll is a pediatrician and professor of pediatrics at Indiana University School of Medicine. And that is it for us today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And I want to recommend that you go back and listen to Tuesday's episode of What Next? It's a really fascinating conversation about why a campaign to restructure the Minneapolis Police Department failed. What Next? We'll be back next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.